2: Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Cliffhanger. It's Die
3: Hard on a Mountain. Phil, are you a, are you a climber? Are you a climbing type? Do you like to go out on the mountain? No. With your no, girlfriend, no. who clearly isn't an experienced No, you know me, climber. I prefer to
2: be in the helicopter than, rather than like... Yeah, you are the you helicopter know. guy. I should uh, have in, remembered. In that scenario, I'd rather be in the. I'd rather be in the Huey. In the Huey. In the Huey. <laughs> well, we have a special guest in
3: the Huey this week, and we're really, really excited to have him here. We have Jamal Bowie. Hi, Jamal.
4: Hello. How are you? I'm doing all right. Have not seen this movie in a long time, and uh, I, I like it. Yeah, I, the revis
3: was very, very exciting, and I can't wait to get into it. So, briefly, Jamal Bowie. Is an opinion writer at the New York Times, but also hosts one of my favorite podcasts. I'm a loyal Patreoner. Pre- Patreon? Patron? I just say patron. What am I doing here? Of the of the of the show, Unclear and Present Danger, which, Jamel, am I getting it right? It's sort of about the the pa- politics of the '90s action movie and thriller.
4: Yeah, it's it's like the politics of the 90, 30, 90s through the, the action movies and thrillers and political thrillers of the nineties, sort of. Um, and that we, we we just because just because we're, you're always starved for content, and it's uh, it makes the show a bit interesting. We've expanded a bit beyond simply political and military thrillers. We've done some science fiction movies, uh, some other stuff. But the um, the basic idea is that like we're trying to historicize the 1990s as a very specific era in American history through the movies of the period and through movies that aren't really made anymore. This is part of, part of the, yes. part of why we, we chose this particular genre. Like these kinds of movies don't really exist anymore. Um, and their high point was very much the nineties. And so kind of, it's, it's trying to take that apart a bit.
3: Yeah. And, and I, when we decided to launch this pod, I sort of discovered your pod and I was like, oh, I feel like we have sibling pods here doing slightly different things. But like, you know, one of the things that we love is every time we watch one of these movies and I feel like a very old man saying this, but I'm like, "Da, <laughs> they just don't make them like this anymore. Like, especially at the end of Cliffhanger, which is the film we're talking about today. Yeah, I just as a quick plug, I spent a big chunk of my recent paternity leave just catching up on your patreon and that third man episode which third man is one of my favorite movies and outside the sort of you know 90s action movie template of course but that was a really great episode so if you have oh, thank you so much yeah i mean that movie is unbelievable and i'm very excited we don't have to get into the whole feed right now but i'm very excited about the costa gavras series that you're doing i think that's really
4: exciting do you have a favorite action movie of all time a favorite action movie of all time? That's a really good question. Um, I'm looking over at my my movie shelf right now, just be, just to see if I if there's something that immediately jumps out. Because I, I like the genre a lot. There's stuff I I, re, I watch again and again, but it's hard to say what constitutes a favorite. Maybe if I had to say like a single favorite, it might be Escape from New York. Oh Ooh. wow, love um, that. It might be Heat, Ooh. which I think of as an action movie. Um, Phil
3: is quiet clapping by the way that you just <laughs>
4: said <laughs> choices of impeccable taste there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff and then like these those are just american American films like obviously I love police story mm-hmm. um uh I love hard-boiled you Oof. know like so we covered that and I think we recorded for four and a half
3: hours <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: i kind of lost my
3: mind yeah Phil that went crazy with- like I was watching it you know the night before and I was like I can't believe this movie exists and everyone involved with it isn't dead in the shooting of this film. It's unbelievable. Um, do you have a copy of Die Hard on that shelf?
4: I do. I have a 4K uh Blu-ray of Die Hard, and then I have like uh from years ago there was a box set of all the uh diehards up to, you know, um Live Free and Die Hard, and those are all Blu-rays. And so I I keep that around because they haven't released 4Ks of uh Really Die Hard with a Vengeance is the one I want in, in, a, in a, a, a restoration. The others I can, you know, do without. But Makes total sense.
3: What made you pick, and then we'll jump into the movie we're talking about today. What made you pick Cliffhanger? I sent you like a, sure, it was a short list, but you were like, I'd watch Cliffhanger again. Was it, was it that you hadn't seen it in a while?
4: It's, I hadn't seen it in a while, um, uh, first of all um and second of all i just have a very fond memory of the first time i watching it watch first time i saw it and there's a scene towards the end where stallone like picks up a guy and like impales him on a stalagmite <laughs> or something and i was like that's that's pretty that's pretty cool pretty that's pretty like, badass. <laughs> that's pretty cool i like that so I, i'll watch that again <laughs> i really appreciate
3: that choice um Phil, are you a you're a Stallone head? I think I can. F- My voice just cracked. Let me say that again. You're a Stallone head. I would uh, yeah, say. Yeah, this right? is our
2: first. This is our first Stallone, so it's kind of an exciting. It's an exciting moment. We're you know we're what is this our fourteenth, thirteenth, fourteenth episode? We haven't done a Stallone yet. I I love the guy. Um, you know, uh, kind of, in a weird way, I love his missteps uh, more than his like home runs. In an odd way, like I. I'm weirdly obsessed with Cobra. Like I, I put I slap Cobra on on a Friday night in the background to like get me pumped. You know, for I, 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 it's it's like, utterly bizarre, completely like egomania, like run run amok. But it's kind of awesome. It's kind of amazingly shot, and um, you know, Stallone. I I, I really do really love Stallone. I, going back, obviously, to the original Rocky. Particularly my, probably my favorite Stallone movie is First Blood, which is very important to this show because it's sort of the, um, the, there would be no Die Hard without First Blood. This show is looking at Die Hard's influence um, across action cinema, but Die Hard was, of course, influenced by First Blood and was described as Rambo in a building. Um, So I think he is kind of one of our last great movie stars, you know? And also kind of misunderstood guy as, as actually... Um, his it's interesting how there's a disparity sometimes between pe- the way that actors read on film and how they are in real life. And I think the the, the misconception about Stallone is that he's you know a, a sort of a bit of a muscle head and not necessarily um, you know an intellectual. But actually, nothing could be further from the truth. And he's you know lest we forget that he of course wrote Rocky. Um, it's kind of as a self-made. Uh, guy is a director is a very very thoughtful intellectual well-read erudite witty guy Um, but yet on film he but he also is smart enough to know this is my brand this Mm -hmm. is what my audience like and I think as the years have gone by and he's experimented with these other things and this film's interesting because it was actually no pun intended given his job in this it was kind of him rescuing himself rescuing his brand after a three turkeys in a row which were rocky 5 um Oscar Ooh, rocky 5 and
4: I like rock- stop or my mom will shoot Oh I like,
3: like stop or um, my mom
4: will shoot too sta- Stop 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 or my mom will shoot is very bad I'm sorry <laughs> It
3: is bad it is of course it's bad but there's um, something
4: still really enjoyable
3: and
2: stupid about it right Where no. are you guys on Stallone
4: I I I okay So I don't disagree with you that Stallone is a much more interesting guy than I think he gets credit for. I do think that his instincts as like an actor aren't always great. Um, uh, And I do think his politics are very bad. Um, But that doesn't always, that doesn't always sort of find its way into his films necessarily. I like him when he's working much more in a mode of like trying to be a serious actor and not so much like Stallone, the action star. So there's, um there's a movie from like 80, 81 is called like Nighthawks or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I like quite a bit. I think it's a very, a very good movie. And I think Stallone gives a great performance. Um, I think Stallone is great. Sort of, you know, in the '90s, in Copland, which I think is one oh, of his great movies sing- his best ever performance performances, in my view. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of wish Stallone did, had done more of that throughout his career. This is why I like his performance in Creed so much because mm-hmm. it kind of it was just like a much more serious, like subtle performance. It was a performance. It wasn't just this cartoon um, character that uh, I think. M- for unfortunately defines much of his legacy as an actor.
2: I just want to pick up on one of the points that you made um, there, which about his politics, because I was just reading a lot about how aligned he was with um, the Reagan era politics, and how that was in, Rambo was embraced by by Reagan personally, and it kind of caught the the national psyche in that in that time. And uh, but yet with this film, one of the reasons why I was so interested as to why you picked it and why you wanted to talk about it was the unlike so many of the films that you uh so expertly unpack on 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 Clear and Present Danger in terms of their of your the you're extrapolating what they're saying about the politics of the time this film to me is unless i'm missing something is utterly apolitical and one of the the, the few films that we've done on the show that there is there's no theme there's no there, it has nothing to say there's it's there's really no political context for it whatsoever, except maybe Eric Quaylen's backstory, which is sketched over. You know, um, so I was really interested, given that you're so interested in uh, in, in that political analysis. Um, uh, uh, why? What? Why this movie? I mean, although I am very much interested in political analysis,
4: I you know sometimes. Um Sometimes I uh, just enjoy a dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: It's a great answer. Uh,
4: and so this was, in, in in a funny way, precisely because this is not my podcast at all, I thought it'd be fun just to sort of tackle something that um, isn't so explicitly political. Although on, on Unclear and Present Danger, we do sometimes watch films that aren't especially political, but you can always gleam some political mm-hmm. content or context from from the film cliffhanger is is a little difficult in that regard because it very much is a kind of a straightforward um i guess you'd call like environmental thriller oh yeah it is kind
3: of an environmental thriller yeah i I, that actually was sort of the answer that i was i was hoping you would give Jamel. you're like sometimes (laughs) i just want to watch a dumb movie guys like this rules um and by the way i i think this movie rules and in the rewatch I think it's crazily influential on action movies that are going to come after it, especially in some of its set pieces. But before we jump into that, Phil, do you want to give us our top line facts about yeah. Cliffhanger, including some stuff that I was very, very surprised by?
2: Sure. So um, Cliffhanger just celebrated its um, 30th anniversary. Yeah. You, I'll, um, let me show you something that I have here. Oh, let me
4: see my camera. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the 4k steel book that just came out uh that i bought i bought specifically to watch for this oh for my this pod, goodness you podcast. get the gold
3: star i just watched it on <laughs> netflix you you get the gold star for uh for that i watched it on pay-per-view in the 90s oh. when it came out that was my fr- i think we spent 20 dollars to watch the pay-per-view on american television it was a big deal
2: yeah, we should say for our listeners, um, as long as they don't pull it by the time the episode comes out, it is currently streaming on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, or you could buy that a very fancy um, a steelbook. Phil's um, a pre-ordering so it or ordering it right now while we're recording. <laughs> this movie's really in the in the zeitgeist. I mean, it just had like a um, a commercial. There was a sequel that's been that's been announced. Um, there was a big commercial around the Super Bowl that was uh, a riffing on the cl- on the Cliffhanger with Stallone appearing in it. So it premiered at the '93 um, Cannes Film Festival. I don't know how long its standing what? ovation was. What, um, what? What?
3: What? That is the thing that surprised me. They premiered it at the Cannes Film Festival. Don't get me wrong; that's cool, but also very, very surprising
2: to me that this didn't film win the Palme d'Or. That's
3: That's bullshit. Um, what?
2: <laughs> <laughs> those those idiots. They don't recognize uh, great movie making. Um, it received its US release uh, a week later on May twenty eighth, nineteen ninety three, distributed by TriStar. Um, this was approximately six months after our last film, Passenger 57, which was released on November 6, 1992. And we're now five years after the release of Die Hard, uh, which was, of course, in the summer of 1988. It was directed by Rennie Harlan, who also produced, along with Mario Casar and Alan Marshall. It stars Sylvester Stallone, John Lithgow, Michael Rooker, and Janine Turner. The screenplay was written by Michael France and Stallone himself, uh, from a story by France and a premise... Mm-hmm. By American rock climber John Long, quite an unusually diffuse. Huh. Um, there's a, there's reasons for that, um, but uh, on an estimated budget of seventy million, it grossed two hundred and fifty five million. It was a really big hit, and it was a hit that Stallone desperately needed at that point in his career. It was really kind of a course correct for him after this somewhat ill advised foray into broad comedy with uh, Oscar and Stop on My Mom Will Shoot. Um, can, I, can, I, so, yeah. can I see? Can I say real quickly, I love
4: uh, reading the box office totals for movies in this period. A, because, I mean, these days, to to get those kind of numbers, you're going to have to have like an IP, like superhero IP property. And that's going to get you, unless you have some unusually big hit, mm-hmm. like um, I don't know, like some kids thing that like kids are obsessed with or whatever, it's going to be an IP. Um, here we have a movie called Cliffhanger. That is kind of like what if a guy was on a cliff? Like that's the movie. <laughs> and, what and if die hard But
2: that's cliff. how it was pitched.
4: <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if a guy was on it? What if what if Sly's still over on a cliff? Then what? And it and people lost their minds. Like got to see this. Got to opening opening night. Got to go check this out. And I just I, I love that the box office totals for the hits of this period tell a story of how you could kind of have a hit without any other, anything behind the film other than you have a star and like a somewhat
2: novel premise. And that's it, that's all you need. And even then, as you say, it's not particularly high concept, right? That's, it's just, hey, uh, Stallone's back doing action, it's on a cliff. What? You, what well, yeah. it's like it's almost, seventy million. You, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, almost go like nuts. you can
3: picture the junior executive at TriStar. They're like, "So we just we just paid you a million dollars. Like, what do you have?" And he like looks around the room and he sees a big picture of Sylvester Stallone and then he looks somewhere <laughs> else and sees a mountain and he goes. Sylvester Stallone on a mountain and they're like sold here's 55 million dollars get Rennie Harlan like that's well, interesting because feels...
2: it was actually kind of um. It, it, the, the we won't get too bogged down in production history, but the they, Rennie Harlan and Stallone were supposed to do this other film called Gale Force that was uh Like die hard in a hurricane which later sort of became in hard a weird rain. way like hurricane heist oh, okay, I, 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 right. would, I would I would suggest um, I have never that heard movie... of hurricane heist
4: Sorry say again I said I've never heard of Hurricane House. Oh, it's actually—I kind of like it.
3: He's looking it up, guys. He's ordering the steel book right now. I kind of like
4: it. We'll get I to mean, it.
2: I the, mean, the title alone has me sold. Yeah. Um, Is that on the pod, Phil? Are we covering that one? I do. I do have it on the list. It's very much a die-hard die scenario. Oh my but god! But basically, that film collapsed, and Reddy Holland had already been paid. I like think I think like three million dollars from the production company, and it was one of those things where it's like we need a project now. And it, it so it almost happened out of the ashes of another uh, a project that collapsed. Um, so yeah, interesting uh, background. But yeah, isn't particularly high concept. It is kind of like Stallone on a cliff. Let's go. Um, and it it is and- a
3: great example of the Die Hard on a blank premise. Which Phil, for those who are listening, maybe they've joined because they're they're Jamel fans. Can you explain what Die Hard on a blank means for the for those uninitiated? Of course, in our obsessive
2: podcast. <laughs> of course so um yeah die, die hard on a blank is cultural or industry shorthand for uh any movie that utilizes this particular storytelling paradigm which is broadly uh bad guys take over a blank uh plane bus hot air balloon uh, uh whatever it might be and it's up to usually one guy or group of uh group of folks to uh to fight back in this instance um it's uh it's essentially it's die hard on a mountain but it also it, if we move on to our section um called Die Hard DNA, let's get on. a little more specific.
3: Die Hard DNA. I have to do the Jurassic
2: Park reference.
3: It <laughs> feels important to
2: do that on the show.
3: So, so Tell us about the How what how does this movie, you know, what what Die Hard DNA does it contain?
2: Well, obviously the the overall concept isn't so much, you know, with a lot of these films we've talked about like Under Siege or Passenger 57, um or toy soldiers, it's it's terrorists taking over a contained physical space. This one's slightly different, being that it's in, in the wilderness, um, but it's still nonetheless a sort of prison of sorts. It's almost more like the agoraphobic scenario rather than the claustrophobic scenario right. we've had in other other situations. More specifically, um, the correlation with Die Hard is, is the heist, right? This is a group of ruthless bad guys pull off this uh, audacious heist, Um, innocent people are caught in the middle of it, uh, and it's up to one guy to save the day, which in this instance is Sylvester Stallone. Um, in terms of like personnel, we have Rennie Harlan Helming, who of course was the director of Die Hard 2. Um, production designer, uh, John Vallone was also the production designer of Die Hard 2. Numerous other Joel Silver pictures, including Predator and Commando. Same editor as Die Hard, Frank J. Urosti. Um, producer Mario Cassar produced the Rambo movies. We we mentioned why that's relevant earlier. Um, the original First Blood, of course, inspired Die Hard to an extent. And the cinematographer, Alex Thompson, would go on to shoot Executive Decision, uh. which features some very similar aerial sequences, including a mid-air transfer. Um, so definitely plenty of this film is chock full of uh dahar dna dahar
3: dna oh my god a ridiculous joke executive decision is great i can't
4: wait till we
2: cover that one on
4: the show i feel like it comes up every episode it does that's a fun movie a fun movie also because uh who is it seagal gets um knocked off the board very early
2: (laughs) have you done that one yet jamel
4: no, well, we're moving. Sure? Removing, we haven't yet. We're moving in chronological order. Um, and so we're currently in 1995. I don't think executive decision comes out till 97. I
3: think it's 97. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, that's a, like a pretty regular rewatch for me. And I also am excited completely as a tangent for you guys to get to The
4: Peacemaker,
3: which is also a 97 movie that I also love, like really unabashedly
4: love The Peacemaker. 97 is a good year for this movie, because I think this this kind of movie, because I think also The Siege comes out in 97, mm-hmm. maybe the 98. And I mean, The State is around this time. All, all, the, all the ones that people really think of are, like, hitting about now.
3: Well, and to your point earlier about how, like, there was a time when you could make – what if Stallone – what if Die Hard but on a mountain – there was also a period of time like in the late 90s when on Friday, one Friday night, you could go see Enemy of the State and the following Friday, you could go see the executive decision. It was like, we didn't know how good we had it in those in that period of time. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, it's amazing how many people involved with the previous Die Hard movies uh, or, or Die Hard 2 came back for this. And you could just feel that like I, one thing that I think we've entered with this period especially having covered Passenger 57 last week, is we're getting to the point when like these movies are coming at a clip, like a very, very regular clip, and it's a little bit of like a golden age. for. I mean, I know, it's felt that way for it, but it's like the fact that we had Passenger 57, then we're going to move on to this, then we have Last Action Hero. The fact that these movies were all coming at this crazy clip, like we're entering this great moment in terms of these kinds of movies, these kinds of action movies. Speaking of which, Phil, can we yes. talk about... The anatomy of an action movie, the one, two, three, four, five, six, sometimes seven tenants. We live in a twilight world. And they're no friends at dusk. Uh, tenants of the action movie that we like to cover on the show. And they are the premise, the ticking clock, the hero, the villain, the action, the humor, and the lady.
2: Yeah. Well, so we'll start with, um, let's start with the premise. Um, we we touched on it before. Unusually, this film actually has a credit exclusively for the premise uh, from the American rock climber and author John Long. This film, the, it, it just had one of those tortured uh, story and script, you know, multiple revisions, multiple writers, um, ended up being a kind of negotiation, um, and there was like a lawsuit, and he ended up getting this, this credit. Um, but I think it's a great, great premise, which is thus... After an attempted mid-air heist of a treasury plane results in a violent plane crash, experienced mountain climbers Walker and Tucker are taken hostage by the ruthless thieves who coerce them into helping them find the missing cases of money. But this also connects to the ticking clock and the kind of paradox, which I think is kind of genius, which is as soon as they find that money, they know they will be killed as they will have served their purpose. So that is such an interesting wrinkle, right? That, do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it that, that essentially means that our two heroes um, have to work together to run interference, um, you know, and disrupt the plan whilst still being coerced into finding this money, but they can't actually achieve that goal because that will result in their death. You know, quite interesting.
3: Yeah. It's funny you say that. It made me think a little bit about some of the like, you know, this is a beautiful movie to look at when it's not, you know, clearly a set. No offense to the movie. And, and, you know, sometimes when there's a little bit of there's a shot of Janine Turner towards the end of this movie that she like stands up and looks around. You're like, woof, early green screen. Hello. (laughs) Nice to see you. But there's something almost like a Western in the scope of this movie where it's like, yeah, it's existentially like if these guys do it, they're going to die. When they do do it, they're going to die. And I, I appreciate that it's it sort of has this kind of like, this is a brutal movie. This is like kind of a brutal, it's silly,
2: but it's also relentless. Yeah. Where would you rank yeah. this amongst other Die Hard on a blank kind of movies, Juma, in terms of its premise and conceit?
4: In terms of its premise and conceit, I'd say it's one of the more interesting ones, precisely because it is the... Um, the confined area is still sort of like an open space, right? Sort of it being the wilderness, even though they are climbing mountains in quite an isolated place, the expansiveness of it just makes it a little more visually interesting. Um, uh, kind of like you can t- you can tell the writers, filmmakers have to think a little more creatively about like how are you going to create obstacles for the characters? Um, because you can't rely on... A small enclosure to do that work for you like one of my favorite die hard on a blank movies is under siege mm-hmm. um uh and i like under Siege despite the fact that it is in a lot of ways like a straightforward rehash of die hard um uh and it's more or less rehashed because it takes place in this very confined space and so you're kind of like doing a lot of the same stuff you did in that original film in its sequel um it's not for nothing right that like the third die hard movie has to also opens up um, in an attempt to kind of make things a little more interesting, to kind of like add a different dimension, to add a dimension of time Mm. to all of this, not just am I going to get caught uh, in this confined space, but like what, there is a clock I have to, I have to beat. Um, And I think that is, that's like a natural expansion of the concept a bit.
2: Um, uh, And I think it really works here. A lot. It's true because this is one of the... We talked about how, you know, we often talk about these things where we assess the premise, like how does this function as an arena for mayhem? What are the stakes? Uh, what are the threats? Like how in, in Nakatomi Plaza that you can you could fall off the building. Um, there's elevator shafts that you could fall down. Um, it's somewhat claustrophobic. There's a terrorist that could come out from any any corridor at any moment. In this instance, it's the elements itself. Like this is a very... What's cool about it is it's so beautiful, and as you said, it's so cinematic and expansive and gorgeous to look at. At the same time, absolutely terrifying place. You could freeze to death. You could you could fall off the mountain. You could cut yourself on uh, these jagged rocks. You know, it's a very, very frightening and yet beautiful place, which is one of the reasons why this is just such a... It's almost like, why did no one do this? Like, as with so many great ideas, why did nobody do this before? Because, I mean, the opening shots really are magnificent. I would have loved to have, I didn't see this at the cinema. I didn't see it on the big screen, unfortunately, when it came out, but it must have been like pretty sensational. Those vistas are spectacular.
3: It it kind of like blows my mind also that, unlike this film has an opening scene that is so different from every other movie of this genre, like, I wrote in my notes, my like ridiculous notes that I take when I watch the movie. You know, about a year ago, I put this movie on. I think it was on Netflix or maybe it was Hulu. I don't know. And I almost skipped the first scene because the first scene is like so brutal and I think kind of brilliantly executed That and so extreme that were it not for the violence that comes up later in the movie, you're like, why is this in like a summer thriller that came yeah. out, <laughs> as you said, in May of you know 1992? And I, I think what's really impressive about the setting and all these elements is that like you could just fall and die here. Like there's the, it really takes advantage of that. There's the great moment towards the end when Janine Turner, this is when she walks in front of green screen, by the way, Janine Turner, uh, hears the helicopter and Lithgow kind of comes up from, uh, or he comes up in the helicopter and she assumes it's Frank and then he pulls out that gun and it's like, well, where are you going to go? Like, you know, I had a moment of like, she could just, you know, turn and run the other way, but I'm like, oh no, she's on a cliff. The movie is called Cliffhanger. Like there's no escaping the reality of it and it does it kind of as well as any of these does. It's almost like taking the broken glass in Die Hard and putting it everywhere that this movie takes place, right? Because it's such a crazily forbidding terrain to, to think about in terms of how how the characters have to
2: interact with their environment. That's a great it's a great point. Um, while we just while you talk about the opening scene which takes us in nicely into our hero section because it sort of defines our hero's flaw, but could you just very briefly describe for anyone that hasn't seen the movie just just uh, what exactly happens in that opening scene?
3: Yeah, I mean, so in the opening scene, we get the beautiful vistas of... uh, Did they shoot this in Colorado? Do you guys
2: know? Italy, but it's subbing. Oh, Italy. Yeah, they shot it it in Italy. They shot it in Italy? Italy? Yeah, the exterior.
3: Hey, what if (laughs) that studio exec was like, also, we have to shoot it in Italy. And they were like, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, in the opening scene, we're treated to a helicopter taking off. Uh, We don't even see it take off, but it's flying through the mountains. And we come to learn that it's there to rescue... Uh, t- I don't know his first name, but Tucker, played by Michael Rooker, who has climbed the mountain with his very inexperienced girlfriend, and they're on a peak, and he has injured himself. And Stallone is uh, Stallone as Gabe Walker is simultaneously climbing the mountain to save them. The helicopter lands on a on a another peak, uh, and they throw a line across, and they hook it up to the mountain. And Gabe, uh, sorry, Tucker played by Michael Rooker goes across and then Stallone sends Sarah Michael Rooker's girlfriend across and the and like I think the most harrowing shot in the movie we see the plastic on her carabiner or the clip break and she after uh Sylvester Stallone tries to save her unsuccessfully she falls to her death thus solidifying the uh the probably the most sort of interesting antagonism in the movie in my opinion which is between sylvester stallone as gabe walker and michael rooker as tucker and that's very unfortunate that their last names are walker and tucker because they're so close together that i have spent this whole spiel being like which one am i talking about right now but it's really harrowing and it's like a haunted hero character like like in our previous film wesley snipes and passenger 57 do you guys feel like it's just a little too much or do you think it works really well
4: Um, I think it works great. I think it. I think it works really well because the sequence isn't particularly long, Mm-mm. and it does a, a very good job of just like giving you the emotional stakes of this relationship, like and also also critically telling you the kinds of thrills you're going to be you, you should anticipate in this film, right? Like you're going to watch this. We're going to be on mountains. It's going to be all of that. It's going to mm-hmm. be very tense. Um, so you get that a preview, a nice little amuse bouche of the rest <laughs> of the film, but then also establishing emotional stakes for our two characters. And I think I think it actually works quite well in that regard.
2: And there's a point I wanted to make about that too, which is and now just piggybacking on what the point you just made, which is, I think it serves a similar function as the plane crash in Die Hard 2, in the sense that it's Rennie Harlan Oof, doubling down yeah. on like, hey, no one's safe here, right? Like, right? You don't know what's going to happen. This place is terrifying. These are the stakes, and he, you know, he. he I'm not even in, in. In like Die Hard Two, it's like you know, it's halfway through the movie. He's like, guess what, motherfuckers, it's the opening scene. I'm doing this, <laughs> and it's like right. it really is yeah, setting like a, a like... tone of right. you know, like anything can happen. But and and I did want to just before we get into our, our uh, more analysis on on the hero. I think Rennie Harlan is kind of a bit of a cinematic sociopath, right? Like he yes. you know, he started in horror. He started in uh, with Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and he seems to take a weird glee. And this film's full of it in like kind of sadis, sad say you know, sadistic moments, like the the sports guys getting shot in the back and so you know, the the the, the moment with the rabbit, which was actually there's a sequence where the rabbit's running around and he actually had it shot right. and they had to reshoot. Stallone had to pay a hundred thousand dollars for his own money to reshoot that bit because it, test audiences re- rebelled. So that, you know, basically, um, yeah. Rennie Harlan, Meany Bobini. Yeah. I, I mean, think he might, he's kind of got a real a cruel streak.
3: R- R- Rennie, you okay? You okay, <laughs> Rennie? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, something that felt true in watching this and and more in the conversation, and it could be the uh, once again, the appearance of John Lithgow as the villain, but there's a little bit of the what we talked about with Ricochet, the vulgar auteurist quality to Rennie Harlan, where he kind of wants to put your face in the mud and like keep it there. And like, you know, to, to talk about our heroes, I feel like the movie kind of has two heroes. One is Sylvester Stallone as Gabe Walker, and the other is Rooker as Tucker. And like their relationship. The, this 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 trauma that opens the movie that pushes them apart as best friends, I would say, and also ruins his relationship with Janine Turner. They're both kind of like, from my point of view, equally important. Like like he loves his bro as much as he loves his girlfriend in the movie, and and kind, but I feel like it's very clear at the end of the movie that Sylvester Stallone and Janine Turner have kind of worked out their differences. But I'm not sure that Michael Rooker and Sylvester Stallone are, are going to be you know, best friends. Like, it's funny how quickly she falls and how quickly it cuts to him looking at him like, you son of a bitch, you dropped my girlfriend. (laughs) It's like, it's not his fault. She's on the mountain, my dude. Like, you know, you brought her up here. So I I feel like, yeah, he's he's a really, really dark and sadistic filmmaker, but he's aided by the fact that I think both of these guys are pretty good in this movie. Rooker in particular is just like batting. Like he's 150%. Every word he says is like, and this is that Rooker phase with like JFK and all these other movies where right, he's right. just like every he comes out the gate and Henry the Portrait of a Serial Killer where you're just like days there's no Thunder actor as like well, this guy like,
2: yeah he was he
4: right? was having a I'm, I'm, I'm looking moment. real quick to see what so yeah ninety days Days of Thunder JFK uh, ninety one Cliffhanger Tombstone also 93. Oh, right um, yeah I love Michael Rooker I think it's unfortunate. And this is why I think he is, does quite well cast in the film like JFK or he's in Mississippi Burning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that Michael Rooker looks and sounds like a Klansman. <laughs> 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 Woof. yeah, he's. I mean, I he's, I, he's not, hard. I, I, not, I don't, I don't think he, I don't, I know he does not hold those views whatsoever. It's just sort of like if you had to like draw a picture, like what does a guy. Right. Like an old southern racist look like And you might draw a picture that looked like Michael Rooker Well
3: and he has that sort of way that You know his face is, is hardened And like his jaw sticks out a little bit And like he can just slip into that I mean quite frankly slips into that role quite naturally In those right. movies Like in my head I'm like is he in a time to kill Like he I feels literally like just he thought the same thing Like kill. I was like yeah. he must have been yeah. in a
2: time to kill Like burning those crosses right. right No not at all Sort of like
3: or Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil These sort of sweaty southern films that deal with race Or, or whatever
2: the case I might think be The reason he never sort of became a leading man, but he stayed around for 35 years because he just has the look and cadence of a a a supporting actor, a great supporting actor. He's worked consistently now he's like in the Marvel verse and you know he's kind of had this even Extra, like not even a second act, but you know, just just a turbo charge at the end of. A, was a, of a character yeah, but actor? Yeah, he's like who's a maintain this career character actor. Yeah. But how do you guys feel about like this part, Gabe Walker, in the pantheon of Stallone's other roles? It's a good question.
3: This is my favorite non. I grew up not, I grew up watching the Rambo movies. I didn't grow up as much with the Rocky movies, though I like them. And in some ways, this is my favorite Sylvester Stallone movie just because it was the one that was on in my house all the time. We taped it off pay per view. Like, I watched it all the time. Kind of feels like we taped it off pay per view. I'm, I'm a million. But like, it just feels really, I like rewatching it. And actually, I'm a fan of, I've heard people poke fun at it, but I think he's pretty good in that scene with Janine Turner where he shows up after nine months and he's like, talks about how things fell apart on the ledge. Like, the writing is a little like, but he, they both pull it off pretty well, I think. And, And I think it's an illustration that like when Stallone goes subtle, sort of to your point, Jamal about Copland and some of these other things, he's a pretty good actor as long as he's not kind of doing the like, Thing that he does in some of the later Rocky
4: movies. Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think I think this is a for for being an action thriller. This is a fairly subtle performance, and it stands out. I just you know I just watched him in um, Demolition Man and Judge Dredd. So I, those <laughs> are the two most recent <laughs> oh, slide stolen performances I have in my head. What a double so, header! Yeah, uh, um, one of those movies is pretty decent. Uh Judge Dredd, right. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Judge Dredd. That's the that's that's the classic. Um but having those two performances in my head in comparison, this is like quite subtle and quite like emotionally interesting. Like precisely because of this relationship between him and Rooker's character and their um their anger towards each other, but then also the necessity of them working together, and all. Also, as we've discussed, this knowledge that it's sort of like these guys are going to kill them um, once they've accomplished mm-hmm. what they have to accomplish, and so all of that. I think Stallone plays all of that pretty well, while also doing the physical stuff pretty well. So,
2: um, yeah, I think it's a good character too, and I think Stallone now, after these missteps, kind of realizes when I think Stallone, like a lot of movie stars, when they try something different and it doesn't work they kind of go back to the well of what has worked um and this character i think i think stallone excels playing these sort of wounded um kind of down on their luck, mm. um quite introverted and sh- almost shy uh characters um really really well that's what rocky is that's what rambo in at least at the beginning was um, where, where his acting is more front and center, especially in the he's early so scenes good in First, in First Blood. Blood. First Blood, he's incredible. He's
3: so good in First Blood. Like that Blood. is a, yeah, that's a real really actor doing good.
2: real work.
4: You Everyone
3: know? in that movie is exceptional. It's a stunning I, think. Movie. I think that's a
4: really strong yeah. movie. Yeah, no, yeah. Not, 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 not to not to do like a whole um, uh, digression on First Blood, but it's Please. wild how how that movie is just so unlike its sequels in every possible way. Like, First Blood is a fairly sedate Vietnam War kind of psychological piece. And yeah, Stallone's <laughs> great in it, but it's just like, it's so striking to me how even the immediate sequel is just like a complete tonal yeah. 180 mm-hmm. from the first film.
2: Yeah, it's almost, yeah, yeah and-, it, and politically, you know, it's it's gone, whereas it f- feels like First Blood was a, sensitive critique by the time you know it was rambo first blood part two it was like nah fuck all that
6: (laughs) like well there's also
3: this there's this really interesting strain in action movies of, of the so many of the leads openly referencing and talking about their time in vietnam right like my favorite action movie is still lethal weapon and like that first lethal weapon movie is is kind of about these guys i mean it is that's what the it's about these guys who the villains met in vietnam and are now smuggling drugs right so it's like I, I appreciate that some of these movies had like a resonance with real world events and, you know, Lethal Weapon kept that trend going. Whereas Rocky sort of did, but I mean, excuse me, Rambo sort of did, but like from a very, very st- strange sort of decisions are made in these movies to, 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 you know, use real world events, like the third one in particular with the, with the stuff in Afghanistan, like it's kind of wild how it abandoned what felt sort of thoughtful and in a sense progressive with that first Rocky uh, Rambo movie. It's kind of nuts. Can I tell you, not to digress also, but can I tell you guys a very, very quick uh, Demolition Man story? I think you'll like this. I think you'll appreciate this. Of course. So my father and I went to see The Fugitive. Um, We were on vacation. I think we were in Cape Cod and it was like a Thursday morning screening or Friday morning, maybe the day of account. It was quite packed. It was quite a packed movie. And we're sitting in the movie theater and the trailer for Demolition Man comes on and like. In 19, what, 95? Is that when that, ninety four, ninety five? when that movie came on? I don't I think, think anyone had quite yeah. seen it. And the trailer is just preposterous. Wesley Snipes and the blonde hair and like all this crazy stuff. And like, you know, it's like this insane trailer and it ends and it goes black and the movie theater is silent. No one reacts. And my dad very loudly goes, that looks like a good movie. <laughs> the entire movie theater just like lost their minds because no one knew what to do with that movie. And when it came out, no one knew what to do with it, and now it's kind of like Jamel, to your point, kind of a, a little bit of a bizarre satirical classic.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that has everything to do with um, Wesley Snipes' performance, mm-hmm. which is just completely unhinged in the best way. Takes a character that could actually be very offensive, and just completely um, uh, makes him makes the character his own but then also gives this like huge and super compelling performance i think i think it's stallone's fine in it and like the movie actually kind of drags a bit in the middle but um wesley snipes is truly excellent like it's truly a great snipe's performance how do we think it stacks
3: up against john lithgow as the villain eric qualen in this film (sighs) i love lithgow so much he's so good man i love lithgow (laughs) ah, like just the the extent to which this guy is chewing it. Rooker and and Lithgow are just gnawing on everything conceived. Every piece of mountain is in their mouth in this movie. Phil, you said it's Gruber-esque. Do you want to talk a little
2: more about well, that? Well, you know he's. We know very little about him, but I wrote down the one sort of bit of backstory that we that we had. Um, which is when the like FBI guys are bringing the Treasury agents up to speed, and they're like, "Oh, this is the guy we think might be pulling this off," and he's described as quote a former member of military intelligence who found out it's more profitable going to the other side. Industrial espionage, hijacking diamonds from South Africa, theft, and disposal of millions in negotiable bearer bonds. Bearer bonds.
3: They're back. <laughs> They're
4: always <in> <laughs>
2: there. Um, so Oh my goodness. Yeah, so, and, and clearly, and I have another quote, which we'll, we'll talk about later, um, about how directly I think he was going for the for the Rickman vibe, but I do have my uh, lukewarm take is, is Lithgow actually lukewarm. bad in this? Because that accent is not an <gasps> English accent. I... I have to... This is a personal
3: <laughs> yes, cultural it is. critique. It yeah, is. Like, are, you, are you offended that it's like, why do all the bad guys have to be vaguely bland? Yes, I am. I'm deeply offended. And
2: in this movie... um, No, that's, look, it's not a good fair. English accent, but he's such a great actor that you can quickly get past it, right? It kind of does... You're like, oh, he's trying an English accent, and I stress the word trying. Um, <laughs> but he, he, well, he, he's so entertaining I, and like... He's just such a great actor that it doesn't even matter that his accent is fucked in this movie.
3: Can I say something that might anger you and I'm curious Jamel if you had the same experience as a younger person watching this movie but I was pretty sure John Lithgow was English when I was 11 years old. Like to be totally honest, I was like that's an you English hadn't met person. any English
2: like, people presumably.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well I don't know, it's hard to say. Um but I, I I, don't know. Is he bad? I think he's appropriately ridiculous in this movie. And and most of the villains in this movie are ridiculous.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure. Just because I, like, when Lithgow is in this mode, I'm not really going for him for, like, fidelity. You know? It's just, like, it's just his insane energy is what I want to see. And I think he brought that here.
3: He is Absolutely incredible in the, and in the final sequence when he's on the helicopter and just like throwing one liners like we used to have the money. Now we have each other. And you're like, yeah. also it's like, like it's, like, exactly uh, um, it's like... now
2: constitutional law that every action film has to end with one of the characters going. It's just you and me now. It's just you and me now, yeah. Jack. That has to happen. Like <laughs> and it happens. And we're like, yes, ticked it off the list.
3: What are your guys' general, I know we have our, our award we give, or we, we have our category that we talk about, and I feel like bringing it up right now. Phil, do you want to cue us off with our favorite question about about the villains well, in this as movie? In,
2: uh, who's your favorite
3: terrorist? Who's your favorite terrorist? The thing terrorist? was,
2: I, so, I, I didn't lean on it too heavily today, but uh-huh. if you have thoughts, because, just because it, it, it trod a little on some of our, our categories later, but if you have a favorite terrorist, throw him in the mix.
4: i uh, find yeah. ev- go ahead please no, no you had you ahead. <laughs> i go ahead. find
2: every
3: villain in this movie so goddamn obnoxious with the exception that of um of a gal that i'm like i don't like any of these people i sort of like travers because i think that guy is 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 a good a- but like why are you shouting every line my dude you can just say things sometimes and also we feel we talked about this with toy soldiers i hate when like the terrorist has a machine gun, and like the, their hostages are moving forward, and they're like, "Move faster!" Oh, he- and they hit them. It's like, what? What are we doing here? They're walking It's a mountain. We're walking as fast as we can. So I'm pretty like turned off by most of the terrorists. Though I will note this, along with Passenger Fifty Seven and the future, and I think recently covered on Unclear and Present Danger, Die Hard of the Vengeance, another movie where the villain has like. Uh, lady sidekick who he may or may not be romantically involved with yeah, yeah, like he like at one point he when he kills her that's a great moment, but like they're kind of maybe together i I sort of appreciate that like that that is that is part of this movie and, and a trend that we're seeing. Jamel, what are your thoughts? do you have a favorite terrorist or thoughts on these these terrorists
4: Yeah I just I like I like Rex Lynn as as travers I like I, I like Absolutely. Rex Lynn whenever he shows up um uh in part just because he's like a huge dude and it's always fun to be like that guy is giant um uh what he's else in is rex lynn in so he is in uh, he's in many things he's in sniper which came out oh. uh, also this year um he is in wide Herp, uh clear and present danger the long kiss Goodnight, night uh, oh, postman love that movie. rush hour ghost of mars who which is, is he is, in
3: clear and present danger I, i'm trying to remember he's just a detective Oh okay. Oh that's right. Uh, I love that movie just as a side note. I think that movie's great.
2: Um, uh, I, 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 I also love There's that a little movie. shout I yeah. want to do about Re- do. <laughs> Rex Lynn which because usually he's like kind of he almost he's almost so ubiquitous that you almost think he actually is a cop in real life cuz he just reads that way. But he he did this really interesting a weird movie that I think is on one of the streamers right now, I forget which one, called Night Game, where um, he plays a serial killer with a a hook for a hand whose gimmick is that he was uh, a failed baseball pitcher. And so he times his murders to uh, pitching for the Houston Astros. And Roy Scheider is the detective on the case. And it's it's basically a very on Rex kind of performance where he gets a little bit more to do something a bit different. And it, I'm glad you guys are giving him some love because I think he's fucking terrific in this movie. He's so good in it. He's Especially that actor. monologue at the, at, when he kind of loses it and he just stops giving a fuck. I think he's great in it. So he, he would be my pick if we were choosing who's your favorite terrorist.
3: I am looking this film up now and I cannot believe that it exists like that is kind of mind-blowing to me that that movie exists at all in the world Like that's it was kind like of a HBO yeah. movie
2: um, But it's kind of it's kind of fun. And you know who's in it is our man uh, Dwayne T. Robinson Paul Gleason plays uh, guess what a jerk cop um, Nah, that I never <laughs> know for sure. Should we move on to uh, the action?
3: Let's talk about the action. So what are our action sequences in the movie?
2: Well, we've got um, obviously the opening prologue that you talked about, um, the midair, the midair heist. Um, There's the avalanche, uh, using the bad guy as a human snowboard. Really enjoyed that. Very living daylights.
3: That's a long, they go like a long way as with that guy
2: as a human snowboard. It's kind of wild. There's that explosion with the bridge, the finale with the falling helicopter. It's interesting how this movie is kind of like um, a series of excellent set pieces And the action in this movie is on point. Like versus when we talked about Passenger 57, right? We were like, we kind of like this movie. There's flaws with it. Where Snipes is amazing. Um, But the action itself, we were struggling to really think of any memorable set pieces. This has got like five or six. The action's awesome.
3: Yeah, you know, weirdly, I I totally agree. The finale with the falling helicopter, I I weirdly, I said earlier in this conversation, I think it's really influential. Um, the midair plane heist that opens this movie—did either of you guys absolutely think about The
4: Dark Knight Rises rewatching this? Oh, I know I didn't, but um, yeah, the, it's it's The Dark Knight Rises was obviously of a much grand, grander scale, but. Um, this this is itself quite impressive, and I can I can I easily imagine directors watching this and being like, I think I can do that. Um, totally. Think, yeah. And Nolan's of that age where I feel like he watched it, and he was like, okay, cool, midair
3: transfer, and also English-ish villain with like a,
6: <laughs> like,
3: over his face. <laughs> like, I really was like, this feels like a Nolan movie. I mean, it's the, you know. Clearer an understanding, but I couldn't help think about Nolan with that, and certainly maybe the ending is a little more superficial, the finale with the falling helicopter. But Chris McQuarrie clearly saw this movie and was like, "Yo, I gotta have like a fight on a helicopter or on a cliff at the end of like you know a movie I make," and that obviously is Fallout. I thought about Fallout. A I lot think while also movies like Direction. Drop
2: Zone and Terminal Velocity that we're gonna do were probably inspired. Mm. Uh, to an extent. I think this is the best action sequence in the film. I think it's awesome. The ending. Uh, no, the mid-air, the mid-air heist. Oh, um, yeah. I, I just love how it builds. I love how... I also want to just mention the very clever casting of this this actor, um, Vito Ruggenis, who is the seemingly untrustworthy... Um, agent who they're like oh this guy's going to tag along and you th- and Rex Lynn seems really like amiable and down to earth and you're like oh well Rex Lynn is trustworthy right um this guy seems a bit shady but it's it's they it kind of like um missteps you um and then, of course um yeah you know
3: is he investigating Rex Lynn is that yes. what's going on he knows he, that there's like something money changing
2: hands but okay. we're, because of the casting because he has played untrustworthy characters before and Rex Lynn kind of seems like a more of a solid dude um, in mm. the way that they play it, it, it throws—at least for me, because I hadn't seen it in a while—it actually did work on me. Kind of threw me off the scent um, because he generally plays sort of slippery characters. And also, shout out to uh, Bruce McGill. Who, Bruce McGill who's on that flight. Yeah, um, Bruce, McGill. Bruce McGill.
3: Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, well, not heat, but uh, every time I think of Bruce McGill, I think of The Insider and how incredible he is in that in that, I just, in that
2: movie.
4: I just rewatched that in that the, the courtroom scene where he screams in the tobacco executive's face is exquisite. Yeah. We've I mean I, it that's before my I've favorite, done my bad Mississippi accent uh that might be that my scene.
3: favorite Michael Mann movie, to be honest. I love that movie. I think it is unbelievably good.
4: I just I'm not sure if it's my favorite Michael Mann. That's like a really good question. What I, my favorite might be collateral. Mm. Um I think collateral is my answer there, but I will say that I think the insider might be his best looking movie, like Mm -hmm. kind of low key his best looking movie. It is an exquisitely shot film. Yeah. Um, And I, it's fun in a way because it has all the Michael Mann tropes, uh, uh, but they're done a little, they're a little more subtle. It's mm-hmm. like it's I don't know. I think it's an interesting movie for I think it's an interesting Michael Mann movie for how simultaneously not Michael Manny it is mm-hmm. but also how very Michael Manny it is. I, well,
3: it's a big flex that movie, right? Like he did Heat yeah. and it did great and he was like now I want to make my sort of like 70s outrage, you know, drama about like big business. Um like it's it's a it's a it's the movie you make after you make you know the crowd pleaser. Right. You know, brilliant film. You like cash heat.
2: in your chips, basically, you know. to yeah, make something that you want to make that would is is a not the most commercial material on face value. Um, I wondered if you guys you, would you consider know, collateral. Um, is that Die Hard in a Taxi? Yeah,
4: that's a good question. Mm, that
3: might be a future. That sound was awful. That mm, I don't know. If, <laughs> no, I'm really I cut think we cut that should out do out it just cause, because because it's awesome. And let's, let's I mean, it's it. a great
4: movie. that's has that, one of Tom, Tom Cruise's best performances.
3: Jamel, will you come back for Collateral? Sure, yeah. Yes, that would be awesome. Um, oh, my God. Also, uh, just really quick on The Insider, Dante Spinotti shot that
4: movie. And, of course, because every movie that guy shot just looks absolutely incredible. The other thought I had just in the type of movie The Insider is it is – obviously, The Insider came up before this, but it's like Inside Man, like mm. Spike's – which is a movie that is, like, not – it is both – Free of a lot of the most obvious Spike-isms, but also is a very quintessentially Spike Mm -hmm. Lee movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's very much a flex. It's Spike Lee doing, you think that I do these sorts of like, you know, social criticisms, Mm -hmm. race pictures. I'm just going to do a straightforward, very 70s inspired New York thriller. And it's going to blow Everything out of the water. It's like a Sydney like,
3: Lumet movie, kind of. In it its is. Way. It's it's
4: it's very much it's it's very much um uh like a dog day. Mm-hmm. Um uh I would compare it. I mean my immediate comparison point for it is this is not a Sydney Lumet movie, Sydney Lumet movie, but um the taking a Pelham mm-hmm. one, two,
2: three. I think they're very much sort of like Yeah, it's the milieu of New York as well, like a cross section of yeah. New York City, right? But in a heightened crime scenario. Another I would suggest Inside Man is is, is also a diehard has diehard echoes. Because taking a Pelham 123 was also kind of inspired Diehard. So it all comes yeah, back, I'm baby.
3: Totally, I'm also just picking up on what you guys are saying, <laughs> and that like Spike still manages to say all the things that Spike likes to say in that movie, which is just like right. it's so it's I remember seeing it in theater and being like holy crap. Also, like Denzel just oozing like you know, we didn't get enough... I mean, we certainly got enough Denzel as action figure, but, like, we certainly didn't get enough to Denzel as, like, you know, kind of cop or, like, private detective. Like, you know, the kind of early uh, Denzel movies that I wish he had the opportunity to make more of. He's just oozing charisma, a uh, cool Loki charisma in that movie. And Willem Dafoe. It's, it's a really, really great movie across the board. One more moment of action I want to point to, which I wonder what you guys thought of. There's a moment in this film where one of the villains shoots, like, some kind of, like, like, uh, like a giant explosive round, and the camera follows, like, in a CGI way up the side of the building till it gets to Stallone, and he's sort of dodging it. And I was like, I feel like, and I'm, I can't point to a specific example, but I feel like I've seen this in 20 movies since, the kind of decision to, like, do this one-take bit of action, whereas, like, you know, increasingly, action movies rely on like, like extraction is an example of a recent example of this, or, uh, you know, some like mission impossible, some of these fights where this moment feels less reliant on gunfires cut to reaction. And actually it follows it up the side of the building. And I feel like that's like a Rennie Harlan experimenting with like the technology that was available to really do this like smooth. It looks a little dated now, but in that moment I was like, wow, this feels very like modern or 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 in our moment you would see this now in a, in a in an
2: action movie kind of reminds me of like you know the iconic shot in um die hard 2 of bruce willis coming out the ejector seat you know that that rennie holland would yeah. create space for these flourishes you know within and it all goes back to um you know what Stephen de- steven e de souza said about him which was both uh i think compliment and uh, not a compliment which was uh you know rennie holland is a great shooter you know he may not have a lot Mm -hmm. of um, dimensionality to his movies um they tend to lack theme they tend to lack uh any they're not trying to say anything but when he hits they are really entertaining and he can shoot the shit out of action
4: yeah i think that's right i mean i think i think. I think that's the exact right assessment of Rennie Harlan, that if nothing else, you're going to get a good looking movie with good looking action, well, which, frankly, yeah. these days is like more than you can say of most, most blockbusters.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I also think he gave us two, I would say, of the more iconic images of heroes in movies, which is... Uh, Bruce Willis flying into the air when uh, in the ejector seat in Die Hard Two, which is incredible, and then Stallone diving off the exploding bridge. Like I think that those I do are. Like, when I think of
6: cliffhanger. Ooh,
3: like,
2: I just like <laughs> I felt that you queued me up for my.
3: It only took it. It only took an hour to get I'm to that impression, so pit. I'm very impressed. No, it, it, he, yeah, I think he's one of those guys that we will remember as like, you know, I feel like a little bit after this, he makes Cutthroat Island and like, I mean, he makes Long, long Kiss Goodnight, which I think, which I think is best a great, great, I great, think that's yeah, his best. I think it's really good. Is that a Shane Black yep. script? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And then he makes Cutthroat Island and things, and then he makes the Exorcist film and things kind of start to, you know, I think his reputation suffers, but now, you know, looking back, it's like, man, this guy really, he really knew what he was going for and he did it
1: Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
2: Do you want to discuss um, the the lady? I don't know. I, I think we can skip the humor because there's not uh, most of it. I'm saving again for there's not a ton of humor. There's a few funny one-liners, but I'm what saving them for the Oscars. Your,
3: keep your arms and hands inside the vehicle at all times. What about that, that, that was line? A, that was That's a, a pretty good line. I thought that was a hoot. <laughs> uh no, I'm pretty good. Do you guys have any thoughts? I mean, Janine Turner, I, it's great. My, my big—I grew up in a in a household where Northern exposure was on TV a little bit, so I have a little bit of like love for her. But I don't have much to add. I I'm, I don't like in these films, and I admit it, it's a product of the time a little bit. When a very self-sufficient female character is told at the end of the movie to run away, like like she's clearly shown that she ha- like has metal and is adept, but it's always like get out of here, I got to do this myself, and I I, I don't it's know. Just you and me, no, now Jack, having seen that it,
2: that has that has
4: yes. to happen.
2: <laughs> so <you laughs>
4: <need> to <laughs> exit neither the stage. neither scriptwriters, neither scriptwriters nor directors seem to know really what to do with these sorts of women characters in their films at this point in time. Like it, it's either it's either the hero t- tells them to run away, or you have like a scene where that character fights, like the woman henchman of the main guy. They have like a cat fight scene. Um, uh, And that's how you kind of like resolve their thing. Interestingly enough, Demolition Man does have, because Sandra Bullock is like the co-lead in that. And she uh, ends up, she like her whole like resolution is she kills a guy uh, using violence to solve a problem—a thing that she's not supposed to do—and then Stallone like knocks her unconscious to keep her from sort of like doing, you know, engaged in the much much more the the climactic violence of the film, which is like an interesting way to do it. So it's not like a she has a fight and it's like a guy like she kills a dude, um, uh, and then she's taken off the board by Stallone. It's like an interesting variation on it.
3: Well, there's also you made me think of the moment from earlier in the film. Where he's fighting Leon in the stalactite, stalag I always forget which one is which, the cave, and she jumps down and kicks him in the face, and then he knocks her out, and this is like a moment to kind of reflect to me, like, this is a gross movie, like, this is a violent, you know, it's really entertaining, it's really fun, but like, the sometimes the violence in this movie, you're like, oof, like, you know, he's beating the shit out of, um, he beats the shit out, of, it's Leon's mouth is bleeding, and he's like all messed up, and he like, you know, he, he has this whole speech. Like, I sometimes forget that there's like a gro-
2: there's a really grotesque quality. As I some say, of he comes from horror, you know, like he, he yeah. does enjoy a bit of sadism, you know, on screen. Um, shall we move on? Shall we put on our tuxedos and move on, get in our limo and head over to the yeah, diehard Jamel, did Oscars? Did you bring a tux?
3: Do you have one at home that you're ready to put on for our Oscar <laughs> section? Of course. Yes, Jamel actually yes. has been wearing his the whole time. It's like a real commitment. You guys can't see him, but he, but he showed up in a tuxedo. Yes, Phil, please list the nominees for the Die Hard Oscars, a.k.a.
2: the Action Movie Awards. All right. So I've got three from Zinger Machine, Eric Quaylen. Um Wait, wait, wait. What award are we we're, talking sorry, about? Sorry, I beg your pardon. We're talking our <laughs> nominees are... I'm all over the place. It's okay. Our nominees Friday. are for the John McClane yippee ki Award for Best Line. Our nominees are... Don't bother to buckle up. You may not want to survive this. <laughs> I love that one. Um, and then this kill one person, they call you a murderer. Kill a million, they call you a conqueror. Go figure.
3: Go figure. And
2: yeah. I, I like the bit where uh, Rex Lynn says to him, like, Get off my back, Quill. And I think it's he who says it to him. And he goes, Off. I haven't even got on it yet. The three zingers from uh, from Eric. And then my possibly my favorite
3: Season's over, asshole.
2: When Michael Rucker kicks. Uh, well, shotguns, Craig Fairbrass off a mountain. We we have a lot that to unpack sucks. in that scene.
4: Um, um, Jamel, what's your pick? Uh, the the uh, you kill one person uh, mm-hmm. line, I think, is wonderful. Yeah, That's, it's such a villainous line, and I think it's great.
3: Yeah, I like the pseudo philosophy of the villains that get injected into this these movies. You know, every so often they say something. There's, there's something like that in Passenger Fifty Seven with um Bruce Payne's character about like. That later in the film, when they have that interrogation, the confrontation scene between the villain and the hero, which doesn't really exist in this movie in quite the same way. But yeah, I, that that's good. But seasons over, asshole, is like a quintessential, <laughs> stupid, amazing action movie line. The Conqueror line also
2: reminds me of um, Gruber mentioned, you know, when he's surveying Nakatomi Plaza and he says something like, um, was it Alexander wept because there were no more... worlds to conquer conquer. right so there is again it feels like it's kind of cribbing a little bit from that but i agree it's a it's a great line do you you guys feel like in these movies
3: uh, gruber sort of kicked off the idea of the well-read well-heeled villain right the kind of like i read about it in time magazine kind of like i'm the smartest person here right and that loses out
4: no absolutely i think i think hans gruber is the 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 archetype for that villain um um, I mean, Lithgow is clearly going for a Hans Gruber kind of vibe here. Yeah. Uh,
2: uh, yeah. He puts yeah, his absolutely. own spin on it. And um, he is like, I know I was uh, taking some shots about the accident, but no, he, he's one of the best things about this movie by, sh- by far, which yeah, brings us to the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. And our nominees are John Lithgow as Eric Qualen, mm. This voice, this awards voice, I just can't get over
3: it. You should be working for BAFTA, <laughs> my
2: dude. Caroline Goodall as Crystal, the jet pilot and Qualen's huh. romantic partner. Ralph Waite. Sacrifice!
1: Wait.
3: Sorry, I, I'm sorry. I, I jumped on <laughs> you, right. but I thought about the sacrifice line.
2: Ralph Waite as Frank. We haven't really talked about him. Big fan of his art. I dug it. I'd buy that. You you bought that
0: monkey uh, Yeah, painting, I thought it was right? cool. The banana eating I liked mo- his... Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I liked his stuff. And Rex Lynn as Agent Travers. Um those are the four nominees. Ooh. Jamal, do you have a pick? I defer
3: to the guest. I mean I'm gonna go with Lifgau. Okay. Michael Rooker. I know he wasn't on the list, but Michael Michael Rooker steals this movie from me because he's going 250%. Every name every time he says Gabe, Sylvester Gabe! I sort of lose my mind. It's I mean, interesting because your the hero film?
2: does sort of split into two in this in this film, as you said. It's almost like a two headed two headed beast. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I, it's Lithgo. I mean, he's just so much fun. He's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, accent be damned. Uh, yeah, you guys. I love Ralph Waite in it. I think he's really, really likable character. And another, that's another moment of incredible cruelty. When spoiler alert, I just think it's so heartbreaking when he comes up to um, Crystal and it, and. And she pulls the gun on him and he's like, But I'm here to help you. And it was yeah. like,
3: oh <laughs> a little bit of that Rennie Harlan scene yeah, and the and way his he body really like basically enjoys
2: apart. A uh, sort of punishment. But I also think Rex yeah. Lynn is great, particularly in that in that monologue, but I would go for Lithgow. But to your point about Rooker, um our next our next award is the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. And our nominees are Michael Rooker as Hal Tucker. Leon as Kynet, who, uh, remember the moment we may remember, he shoots the extreme sports dude in the back. Just just to remind you of some of his uh, dickish moves. And Craig Fairbrass as Delmar, the British thug and casual racist.
4: I'm going to go, my vote for Delmar. Yeah, Delmar. It's 100%. Delmar sucks.
2: worst. And by the way. He's awful. That scene. The other thing that sort of annoys me about that scene, he is actually British Craig Craig Fairbrass, but never in the history of association football, which you call soccer, has anyone done a commentary like he does in that scene where he's like, the striker lines it up. He looks right. He looks left. He's gonna kick the ball with his foot. It's like, have you ever? I just want to give
3: a. I just want to just mention the dripping, just the dripping uh, disdain when you said, "Which you call soccer," to the two Americans on the call. There, which you call soccer. But yes, that that scene is ridiculous, and he eats it in the only way that is appropriate.
2: Um, So yes, yes, I think we all agree that he's he wins, Dick of the movie, and our final uh, award is The Best Death, presented by Marco.
3: No more table! That's all I'm doing today, because I'm self-conscious
2: about doing that in front of the guests. I don't know why. (laughs) And our nominees are Leon being killed by Chekhov's stalactite, Mm -hmm. Quaylen killing his own lover, Crystal, to exert leverage over Travers, British thug Delmar being shotgunned to death and thrown off the mountain, and Quaylen's fall from grace. It's (laughs) stalactite. <laughs> I, ha- I have the movie on right now
4: and I'm just watching it. It's, uh, this is the scene of it. I just watched again. It rules. It's great.
3: <laughs> I really, by the way, Jamal, I really admire your method acting approach too. I'm just basically going to live commentary the movie while I talk about <laughs> it on the podcast. That's the move. That's the move, my man. I love that. Yeah, stalactite. Or I do have to give it up to Lithgow falling and like the shot of him looking down and being like, no, like that's primo villain dies kind of stuff. And almost a reversal of what happens to Alan Rickman where he's looking up. But in this scene, it's it's interesting how with
2: Die Hard, the Gruber death, although, of course, we always remember the iconic shot of him falling. But beyond that, it's quite tasteful right you never see it's from a distance you see you know a body falling and you see Dwayne T Robinson like you know make a comment right. but you don't ever, you never it doesn't like wallow in it in 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 the way that mm-hmm. a lot of other films do like in this one where you get to see the close up of like no and you know it kind of does it in a more um, in a more tasteful way what's your pick my friend um yeah. St- yeah, you got to go with the st- stalactite for sheer invention, mm-hmm. and a, co- a nice callback to the icicle death from Die Hard Two. Um, I think my yeah. plan when I make the social media
3: clips for this is just to pull jo- Jamel yelling stalactite, so <laughs> can guess what movie <laughs> we're talking.
4: <about. laughs> uh, also, a comment on the stalactite, Kelly. Like, it, it, it just uh, to it, it's another reminder of Renny Harlan's like roots because it's actually like quite gruesome. Like you see the stalactite sort of like penetrate the body and the blood comes down. It's like very much, it's a slasher death. It's not like an action film death, it's a slasher death. And that, he I enjoys think, a bit of gore.
2: I think, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So Can we all enjoy a bit of gore on this podcast? Should we move on to our final oh, quiz section? Yeah. Which is our um, double jeopardy quiz slash trivia. Um, now, I have to pivot slightly because one, uh, this which is an, uh, an occupational hazard, is that sometimes one of my trivia questions um, get stepped on by something that comes up um, in the show, but luckily today I did prepare a backup piece in my ankle holster. Oh my goodness. Um, so two of them are going to be a little it's similar. Your little Derringer that you keep in the Yeah, exactly
3: So okay, so work are we competing or are we collaborating? I think Jamel? What do you think are we working together? Or are we are we competing here? The winner gets a set of steak knives. <laughs> a set of
4: steak Instead knives. A set of
3: stalactites. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: let's, let's work together.
3: Oh, I love this. This is great. Excellent.
4: Okay, great. All right. All right question. I
3: will send you the half the stalactites then. Okay.
2: okay. All right, Thanks. guys. Here we go. Um, and the rules are, are simple. You simple. Uh, I'm going to ask the question, but then if you want, there is a clue available, meaning you can phone a friend, a.k.a. you can radio Al Powell. Okay? Okay. All right, sounds here we good. Go. Question number one. Which legendary actor, who at this point in his career had previously played both a Bond villain and a Batman villain, was originally cast as Eric Quaylen before being replaced by Lithgow at the last minute? A Bond
3: villain and a Batman villain? Uh, Christopher Walken. Is the correct answer.
4: Wow! He plays Max Shrek in Batman Returns. Oh, that's him.
3: So um, wait, just real quick. <laughs> do, you, do you know what true love is? I can't do it. I'm trying to do it. <laughs> sacrifice. It's like
5: I'm trying to do it. So I was hard. wondering I
3: if you it. wanted to can...
2: try a walk impression, but they're really hard.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Give me a line. Give me one line. Give me one line. What about the, the, the conqueror line? Oh, that's too long. I can't do it. No, that's too stressful. Never mind. Oh, that's so interesting. But well, listen to wow, this. You know, I mentioned earlier movie. about
2: Lithgow and and the and the Rickman thing. So I found this quote which explains this uh, from an interview that he did with GQ where Lithgow said this, he said, I think I had been cast as the sort of second villain. My role was supposed to be played by Christopher Walken, but he bailed and they sort of moved me up the night before. I remember sitting around with Rennie Harlan trying to decide what nationality Eric Qualen was. Was he an American (coughs) secret service man? Maybe a South African? Or how about an Englishman? It was literally that. And I said, I don't think I can master South African overnight. I think we should make him something other than American. Let's just go the Alan Rickman route.
3: And the rest Direct is history. All right. Um, now, my All right. second good, one... Good get. I would not have gotten that. Um, a
2: to a kill. My second one was uh, two of the actors who played treasury agents on the hijacked plane, uh, the aforementioned Vito Reginis and Bruce McGill, both appeared in which Michael Mann film, which uh, we already talked about. Um, so um, Ooh, I'm going to ask insider, a different right? question, which is... Uh, the pl- the keep. It
3: was the keep. Yeah.
2: <laughs> They were both in the keep. So I'm going for my backup, and then we'll go for for the the final question. Right. So my my other, my second question is: Which iconic British musician and sometime actor was Rennie Harlan's first choice to play the role of Qualen? Uh Sting. Good guess. No. Incorrect. Okay. All right. I see where I see where you're going I... though.
3: Yeah. J- uh, Johnny Rotten. No, I don't do you know want to phone. <laughs> want to call out? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Call out. Al. Right. He previously appeared in Tony Scott's film debut, *The Hunger*.
3: Oh, David Bowie.
2: Yep, David Bowie was who wow. Renny Harlem wanted first, and no. um, that's a real sliding doors moment for
4: David Bowie's career. Wow, I would watch. Kind would, would. be amazing. It didn't occur to me to guess David Bowie because it just David Bowie seems too classy.
2: He really kind of does seem but too
3: But it's
4: interesting if goes, you think about you
2: Bowie and Christopher Walken both have a similar sort of like physicality and they're both very they're they're thin, wiry. <laughs> okay, Walken does Bowie. Go. I just did it. Oh, wow. Walken
3: does Bowie. Brian um, Ferry
2: of Roxy Music was also briefly considered for the role. So it gets weirder and weirder. Huh, I love Brian Ferry,
4: mm-hmm. by too. the way. This
2: is, this is a thing few people
4: know about I me. Mean, I, I actually fucking love Brian Ferry. Uh, I, you heard
3: it here first Adeline, on the
2: Boys and girls Love
4: that mm-hmm. guy Me too Me too I'm yeah, all about
3: Roxy stuff.
2: music and Brian Ferry um, Alright final question You guys question.
3: should start a Roxy music pod
2: <laughs> I'll subscribe <laughs> Yacht Rock I would I talk about that for a long time yeah. Alright let's go Last time uh, Last question is Convoluted corner corner corner, corner 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 Okay Final question As we all know Rennie Harlan directed Die Hard 2 In 1990 But Harlan would also go on to direct an action thriller for WWE Studios with a premise that was decidedly similar to Die Hard with a Vengeance. What was the name of this 2009 action film?
3: Is this a John Cena movie?
2: Is
4: it The Patriot? No. No, it's not that. Uh, Is that my In the Ballpark? It's, um... It's 12 rounds. Is correct.
3: Wow. Jamel, you really, you should have just chosen to compete with me here. I don't know what, <laughs> you're a good, you're a good man. To, That's to, absolutely right. To have it just pulled was the 12 weight rounds. here. You get all the stalactites okay, thank, and thank stalagmites, you. but you have to put them up because I can't remember
2: which one is which ever. The premise of 12 rounds was a detective discovers his girlfriend has been kidnapped by a criminal mastermind and has to complete 12 challenges in order to ensure her safe release. Sound familiar? It's not a good movie, but it's totally
4: a great you just need something on while you're doing something else movie. When
3: you're writing, do you just have movies
4: on in the background? It, it depends on what I'm writing. If I'm like really okay. working on a, a column that like requires right. uh, that I don't I have music on or something. but if I'm like working on something, um, if I'm like researching something uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't require a ton of my attention, basically if I don't have to like really think, I mm-hmm. can throw a movie on uh, mm-hmm. in the background. Uh, usually a documentary actually just because like i don't feel i have to like look at the screen as much i can kind of just like listen smoother rhythms kind of a little bit too i would imagine it'd be hard to watch cliffhanger and like (laughs) (laughs) be
3: like researching whatever whatever happens to be going on wow final
2: thoughts um on on cliffhanger guys thumbs up uh yeah
3: thumbs
4: up this is a this is such a fun movie it is a really fun movie.
3: I think it. You know, we haven't done a ranking of the first twelve or thirteen movies we've talked about, but like this is a top, at least of what we've talked about so far. Top three, top four. Die Hard on a blank kind of movie.
2: Like it just it's works one really, of the really ones. well. And yeah, it really is. I would uh, hand that. Over. The, the The last thing I wanted to say about it was I consider it the the Shake Shack of action movies, as in it's like elevated fast food. No nutritional value, no themes, no substance, nothing to say, but really tasty and delicious and satisfying. You
3: heard it. Do you think we can get Shake Shack to pay for the podcast with that line? That's what I was hoping would for. So. Sponsor <laughs> SpawnCon, SponCon, <laughs> Shake Shack. That'd be great. Uh, or maybe we can get that studio exec that got this movie, Greenlight. Jamel, thanks so much for joining us on the show. This was so fun. My pleasure. My pleasure. you come for back? inviting
4: me. Yes, of course. If you guys do collateral, I'm back. I'm back uh, immediately. I think it's on.
3: I think it's on the list. It is. Right? Yep. Absolutely. It
4: is on the list. Fantastic.
3: Um, anything you want to plug?
4: Tell us about like what's what's going on. Uh, I you can read my column in the New York Times if if that's your thing, um, and then my podcast is Unclear and Present Danger, uh, which you can find wherever podcasts are found. We also have a Patreon that's just the unclear and present danger of Patreon. And the difference between the main feed and the Patreon is the Patreon, we're kind of just doing 20th century, you know, Cold War films, um, uh, and not in any particular chronological order, just kind of what seems interesting to us. So I think, as maybe mentioned, we're doing some of the films of Costa Gavras, who's this French Greek director of political thrillers. And then we're going to do kind of after that a double feature of um, the Battle of Algiers and the Day of the Jackal.
3: Oh. Oh my God! Fantastic. Battle of Algiers is just such a master. It's such a master. One, one, one of the
2: greatest movies ever made. <laughs> we studied that at, uh, on our film course. That was on when I did my film degree. That was one of the films on the list.
3: You know, I think the CIA used it to stu- like used it as a tool. Like, to, they had them study it to talk about like counterinsurgencies. I'm, I may be making that up, the, but I've heard that it's well the for bl- similar
4: to this- The Black Panthers mm. would screen it to study
3: insurgency. <laughs> so it goes both ways i mean yeah what a what a masterpiece uh well listen I, yeah i can't recommend unclear and present danger both the regular show and, and the patreon enough I'm, I'm really not enough people talk about Cost- costa gavras um and now his son is like a pretty accomplished yeah i a- feel athena athena
4: yeah. I, I was very well regarded last year yeah
3: yeah yeah that i don't know have you guys seen
4: athena no, I have not yet. I have not yet seen it. I kind of went through this like uh, French language action movie binge recently, so I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually finally get to it.
3: It has a 13 minute opening shot that is unlike anything I've
2: ever seen
3: before in a movie. It is
2: unbelievable. Phil, I'd be curious to see what you think of it too. I just want to say as well before we wrap up that I'm also like genuinely a really big fan of Unclear and Present Danger. I think it's great. Um, I I wouldn't say that unless I I really felt it like. The Die Hard with a Vengeance one, I really enjoyed your analysis of like the New York politics of the era, and I think it's such a cool way um, to kind of keyhole in to uh, the, the the political zeitgeist of the time through action movies. It does something very sort of different to what we do here, but it's adjacent, and and it's it's a fantastic podcast, and we're really really stoked that you uh, that you joined us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate
4: that.
3: Thanks, Jamel. Thank you, Jamel Bowie. That was great to have him on the show. And, and really, please, if you have not, check out. We've said it again and again, but unclear and present. You know, there's a lot of movie podcasts, and a lot of them are really great. And there's a lot of them, but I think that really what distinguishes that is, and I hope this one is the clarity of purpose. They're not trying to give the definitive account or review of a movie. They're just talking about it in a, in a context. Uh, Jamel and his co-host, Uh, John Gans, they're talking about it in a context that like they really can speak to, you know, Jamel being just this very smart writer for the New York Times and John Gans is writing a book about the politics of the 1990s right now. And it's, uh, you know, similarly to having uh, uh, an expert screenwriter like Phil on the podcast who can really talk about Die Hard and me who can say stupid things and talk about how good things go boom. (laughs) So, so there we go. Don't do yourself down, Liam. Don't, 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 come on, be nice. Listen. Um Jim, 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 Phil, I'd like to do something that we've never done on the show before. Will you bear with me? certainly <laughs> that's not a great lead up to what I'm about to talk about here I want to read a review where's this going <laughs> <I> wanna... <laughs> <laughs> Phil will you podcast marry me um, I wanted to read a quick review uh, that we got and I just think is is really great and I've been oh. meaning to do this for a while okay. um, we've, we've, gotten a, we've gotten a couple of good reviews on the old Apple Podcasts uh, app and that seems to be the place to review podcasts but I'd like to read this from um, Tony Wagner Five stars. <laughs> Thank you. A must listen for action fans. Phil and Liam know their stuff, and they're great. Great, excuse me. Let me start again. Phil and Liam know their stuff, and they're great at reaching beyond the more obvious influences to something deeper about both the movies they cover and the cultural currents that made them. Can't wait for the ep on Executive Decision. Wow, it comes up every week, executive decision. Everybody loves executive decision. What a lovely no.
2: review. Yeah. Thank you, Tony.
3: Thank you, Tony. And I'll read the bad reviews, too. Here's one from Phil Gawthorn. Let's get rid of that Liam guy. No, I'm kidding. But it's the really The British nice. guy's good, but the, the Irish guy's dude. good. Are we sure he's really British, though, that <laughs> accent? Ooh. He's faking it, yeah. He's faking it. When he says, Who's your favorite terrorist?
2: Who's your favorite Terry? To- the striker Who's lines the striker? up the shot. He looks at it. He gets his right foot. He puts it in front of his left that is really it's like he
3: came out of a dickens novel and got to the mountain or whatever the case might be so if you want to hear your review read on the show please review the podcast please rate the podcast the most important there's two things you can do that are really important more important than social media more important than twitter you can reach out to us i'm at liam g billingham on twitter the, the podcast is diehard oab on twitter and phil on twitter you are i just at philip gawthorn the best way to reach out to us Shoot us an email. If you have questions, if you would like to offer your thoughts on a recent episode, if you if you want us to talk about something, we're really open. The email address is diehardoab at gmail.com. Diehardoab at gmail.com. Send us a question. If you have ideas for trivia questions, I won't read them. Send them. Phil, Phil can put them on there. You know, maybe we can post a list of the movies that are upcoming, so that if you decide that, hey, you know, I, I have a great trivia question for this movie, we can send it off. Phil, is that stepping on your toes to get trivia? Um, no, questions I'm from open the fans? to any
2: and all engagement. Now, you know, if there was something like today's episode, you're like, hey, this is a point I, I you know, wanted to make about Cliffhanger that you guys maybe didn't touch on, or just an additional um, point that anybody wanted to make really anything it's a totally open forum we would just love to um continue to have the engagement that we're getting uh with our listeners and and include you guys more um you know on on the show
3: right and just you know the other thing is though another way to really help us out is to tell friends if you have 40-ish year old dad friends or friends in your life or people that like action movies with a thoughtful recommend both our podcast and clear and present unclear and present danger jamel's podcast next time on the show the hilarious, bizarre, strange, and next-level meta action film, The Last Action Hero.
2: It's going to be an interesting one, guys. It really is going to be... Liam and I have different views of this movie, and we're going to uh, we're going to unpack all that. There's a lot to unpack with this film. Arnold uh, is-
3: Schwarzenegger plays Hamlet. It is the perfect fusion of our interests combined into one. Um, potpourri uh, One sort of uh, Yeah I'm very excited To talk about it uh, We'll save it We'll save it <laughs> Yeah sorry We'll but save join it us, uh, Join us next
2: time For sure
3: <laughs> See you next time We'll be back next time With some new FBI guys I guess Die Hard on a Blank Is a podcast Created and hosted By Philip Gawthorne Liam Billingham Co-hosts and produces The show Mike Mayer And Michael Sugar Are the executive producers Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHard O A B. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank.